Well, good morning. Thank you, Trenton, for shepherding us in worship. It is a true joy. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. And before we get started, I want to take just a moment. I know, I know many of you are praying for Adam and Lynn, and I just want to do it corporately uh, up front. So let me, let's bow our head and pray for Adam and Lynn just a moment. Father, we come together, Lord, as a people, as a congregation. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to have pastors, shepherds. Lord, it's a difficult job. It's a taxing job. Lord, it's one that is met with so much opposition from the enemy. And so, Father, we take a moment this morning to pray for Adam. We pray for the strengthening of his soul. We pray for a renewal. Lord, a fresh spirit. God, we ask that you would just give him great rest and rejuvenation encouragement and steadfastness. Father, we thank you for his labors. We thank you for the way that he loves his family. We thank you for Lynn and the way that she's faithfully loved and served this congregation. God, we do pray a blessing over them. Lord, we thank you for them. And God, I thank you that there are so many in this room that are praying for them faithfully. God, I pray we would continue. And Lord, thank you for leading Adam and Lynn here. Let's pray again, Father, a blessing over their ministry, over their marriage, over their family and their parenting. Father, that you would help them to stand strong against the attacks of the enemy, the opposition. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to press on. And God, we pray, Lord, we pray to you, the ultimate good shepherd, who is able to sustain and Lord, who we see as Paul talks about, that he who begins a good work will finish it. So God, we are thankful that we serve that kind of God. Lord, help us to strive in faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are gonna be in Nehemiah chapter four, and I'm really excited about this passage because this passage gives us a word that I feel many of us, it may be very timely this morning. So let me read, starting in verse one, we'll read the entire chapter of verse four. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down. Hear, O oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from, their, from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. 
But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a, to set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to, to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders and his swords had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is greatly and widely spread and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let's pray. Father, your word speaks to us this morning. And God, we all come from different places and different backgrounds and different experiences. Lord, each of us this morning are struggling with something, we're wrestling through something. Father, maybe some are at the brink of giving up. And Father, wherever we come and whatever we come with, Lord, we come to a God who is faithful, powerful, and loving. So God, I pray that we would see that God, you, and your spirit, and your will, and your power in this chapter of Nehemiah. Father, we pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word. Your spirit would weave these truths into our hearts and they would embolden us to be strong and courageous just as you called the Israelites many years before. God, it's in your name 
that we pray. Amen. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about how many of you have ever felt the call on your life from the Lord and you begin to pursue that call and almost immediately it was met with criticism, doubt, and discouragement. I wonder if there is something in your life that you have put your effort into. You knew that that was the thing that I was supposed to do and yet it was met with struggles and disappointments almost the entire way and maybe even you gave up. Maybe you said it was too much, it's, it's too difficult. The opposition seemed to be everywhere. Some of you in here are raising children. You're trying to be faithful, raising godly children in the Lord. And it seems like you take two steps forward and three steps back, and oftentimes it feels like you're just failing at every turn. It's a struggle. It's difficult. You wanna do the right thing. You wanna, you wanna pursue the, the right thing. You wanna, you wanna walk in the ways of the Lord, but it's difficult. There's opposition everywhere. It seems like you just can't get ahead, and it's taxing. And for some of you, maybe that opposition hasn't been an instant. Maybe it's been one after the other. Maybe it's been for years. Discouragement and criticism, doubt, whether it be emotional, spiritual, and sometimes physical attacks, they seem to be relentless at times. And one of the mistakes we make is trying too hard to avoid the obstacles of life. Always dodging criticism, refusing to speak or do this because we know of the kickback. You see, we need to live our life expecting the opposition. Expecting the hurdles. If you look at the, the person who runs the 100-yard dash, they have a very different perspective than the person who runs the hurdles. The one who runs the 100-yard dash expects a straight path, nothing in the way, clear, clean, right down the middle. The person who runs the hurdles, however, expects the hurdles. They don't see them as a hindrance to the race. They see them as the point and the purpose of the race. That the goal is to go over the hurdles. You expect that they're coming. You're not surprised by them. If you are, you're in the wrong race. But a lot of times, perspective is important. The Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius, said, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Over the course of my life, I've had the privilege to be part of people's growth. It's been a great joy of mine. Whether it's through coaching or counseling, pastoring or training managers, it seems like I've been involved in some way, shape, or form, people's growth, goals. And there's two things that have always been constant. 
And that is that there always seems to be people Whenever somebody wants to build something, whenever somebody wants to grow, there's always opposition. There's always someone that comes around and discourages. There's always a critic. There's always someone that has something negative to say to keep you from pursuing. And the second thing is that a lot of times people give up too quick, too soon. They throw in the towel sometimes too early. And our text this morning gives us a front row seat to a man who faced opposition at every turn, ridicule at every endeavor, and constant attacks. Nehemiah was a man on a mission sent by God to rebuild the wall. And from the jump, he faced opposition. Before he even got into Jerusalem, he faced opposition. So the question is, how did Nehemiah handle it. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, and most of you will agree with this, but one of the most important things you will do in your life is how you handle opposition. How you handle critique, how you handle the attacks. A lot of times, how you handle those moments will define the future moments and opportunities and the character And so often we allow people's negative words and critiques to take up room in our hearts and minds and either slow our progress or stop it altogether. So let's get into the text this morning. Let's set the stage, right? We know chapter one, Nehemiah gets the report that Jerusalem is in ruins. He's deeply grieved. He gets permission to the king to go and see what can be done. In chapter two, he heads that way. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, he gets the leaders from the nearby tribes together and says, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my plan. And, chopped, and, and then at the end of that, chapter two, this is important, verse 20. Chapter two, he gathers the team. And then at the end of chapter two, he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we will arise and build. This is the anchor point of the entire rest of the project that Nehemiah is building. This is the anchor point that they cling to. Well, then in verse three, they begin the work, right? That's all of, I mean, chapter three, all of chapter three, they're, they're building, they're closing up the gates, they're patching the holes, they're, they're strengthening the foundation. And then comes the attacks. Then comes the opposition. Then comes the discouragement, as it always does, doesn't it? It always goes that way, almost. And in Nehemiah 4, I want you to see the pattern of how Nehemiah responds to opposition. I also want you to see the incredible impact Nehemiah made, listen, in the lives of thousands of people because of the way he handled opposition. It's really important to see. So in Nehemiah chapter four, you see an attack and a response, an attack and a response, an attack and a response. So let's look at these. Right off the bat, they're building the walls. Verse one, now Sanballat heard that they were building the wall and he was angry and enraged. What's the deal with Sanballat? 
He's always causing problems throughout the entire book of Nehemiah. We see this from the beginning. So why is he angry? Well, in in Nehemiah chapter two, if you look with me in in chapter two, verse 10, here we first see Sambalot. When Nehemiah is on the outskirts of the city, gathering up the leaders and telling them his plan, Nehemiah didn't like it from the start. It displeased them greatly, listen, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You see, the city was weak. The people were vulnerable. Sambalot liked that. He liked to keep the people down here. He liked having free reign. He liked having the power over them. So he was upset. He didn't like what they were doing. He was against it from the beginning. Now think about this in in Nehemiah. He had his work cut out for him, didn't he? It was a massive undertaking with not the most skilled labor, as Sam pointed out last week. And at every stage, he faced opposition. In the planning stage, he faced opposition. In the inspecting stage, he faced opposition. And now building the wall over and over, hot days, long days, and here comes more opposition. Wouldn't it be easier if he just called it a day? He's like, listen, we tried. We got a little bit done. Maybe someone else can come and and wrap this thing up. But look, remember what Nehemiah left. He literally was in a great city, had a great job, right? Was literally eating food fit for a king. And he gave it all up to come to this broken down city all for facing opposition after opposition, wouldn't it just be easy to call it a day? Look what his response is in verse four. Nehemiah prays. He prays, that's his first response. And listen, it's not a warm, fuzzy prayer. It's like, Lord, bless the enemies, let us keep going. No, look what he says in in verse four. Hear, O God, for we are despised, Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Don't cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. That's a strong word. That's a strong word of prayer from Nehemiah. He's essentially saying, take them out. Now, let me me make a word Let me speak a word here of Christian civility. Nehemiah's prayer of destruction for his enemies was not based on selfish vengeance or pride. It's very important. Rather, it was rooted in his love and devotion to the work of God. Why do I say that? Because at times I've seen Christians treat people in sinful ways and use the Bible to justify it. While the whole time, the reason, the real reason why they're upset at the other person is not primarily because of their love for God, but their love for themselves. So Nehemiah's prayer was justified because it was rooted in his love and devotion to the work of the Lord. So in chapter four, one through three, Nehemiah is attacked by critics and naysayers. He prays and 
leaves it with the Lord. See this, he, he prays and he, he leaves it with the Lord. He doesn't go after them, he doesn't retaliate, he doesn't hop on Facebook, he, he, he leaves it with the Lord. And then notice the rest of his response in verse six. So we built the wall. We, we, we got back to work, we just kept working. The opposition came, the criticism came, we just kept plowing through, we kept going forward. And this is, this is a great moment for the people that Nehemiah was leading. You see, because the goal of opposition is to get you to quit, to back down, to throw in the towel, just leave it alone. This is the defining moment because it conveyed something about Nehemiah to the people he was leading. That Nehemiah was confident and not only what he was called to, but who called him. So despite the opposition, I'm going forward. Despite the mocking, I'm pressing on ahead. But notice this. Again, why could Nehemiah keep going? Because he was confident in the Lord. He trusted. We see this theme all through scripture, don't we? In Psalm 37, 24, though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Joshua, Joshua 1, 9, I've not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. In fact, a few verses later, Nehemiah, in verse 20, motivates his people by quoting Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Notice Nehemiah's boldness was rooted in the character of God, not in his own greatness. Nehemiah never once did he say, I gotta look within me and find the strength within no, this wasn't some self-help therapy that Nehemiah was relying on. He was relying on the Lord, the character of the Lord. And so Nehemiah faces opposition and keeps going. Did that silence the critics? Did the opposition stop? No. Look in verse seven. Here comes another attack. And when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard the repairing of the walls, they jeered at them. They kept going. Why did they keep going? In verse seven, because they saw progress. They got angry because they, they saw progress. They also got angry because their words didn't have any effect. At least it didn't seem like it had any effect on them. Their words and the comments seemed to be ineffective to the work. You see, at this point, most people quit and turn back. And they said, well, they're not quitting. They're still going, as if we didn't even say anything. As if we weren't real, a real opposition to them. And then what happened in verse 8, the critics, right? Because they love company. So they get a group of people together. And what do they want to do now? They want to cause disunity. They want to cause confusion amongst them. Because we understand that... If I, can't, if I can't discourage you with my words, then I'll gather some people together 
and we'll try and create divisions. So maybe we'll start some rumors here, we'll, we'll cause this, or we'll create issues to, to make you, to make inner fighting, right? And this happens all the time in organizations and churches. I've been asked many times, what is the, what's the primary way the enemy attacks the local church? It's disunity. What's the hardest thing on a pastor? Disunity. Why? Because the work stops. Because the mission of a whole is put on hold for the sake of the individual. But again, Nehemiah's confidence in his mission. He keeps going. Look at his response in verse nine. Again, same response. He prays. A simple prayer, isn't it? Just a simple prayer that Nehemiah prays here to set a guard of protection over the end. Nehemiah refused to waste time worrying about the opposition. In fact, chapter six, we'll see in a few weeks, gives you a beautiful picture of this. And he didn't retaliate, he just kept working. So did that settle it? Could they get back to work and not have to be concerned about any more attacks? No, I'm, I'm afraid not. It actually got worse. It got worse. Look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we're not able to build the wall. So realize that in verse 10, discouragement sets in. So the enemy is having some effect on the people now. Now it's starting to affect. Maybe, you know, the first few I was able to keep at bay. I was able to keep rolling. But now the opposition is growing. It's still coming. And then you start to see discouragement set in. You see physical in 410, emotional 410, fear in 411, fear of physical harm and death. And the stakes keep getting higher. So much so that look, in, in verse 14, what's happening? And sorry, in verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, you must return. So there were a lot of workers that came from nearby places to come and camp out and build the wall, and their families were saying, hey, it's getting too much. We need you back home. Let's, let's go. They're starting to call the people off the work. It's no longer safe. Maybe the cost is too high and the price is too much. So now is when Nehemiah gives up because he's starting to get, the, the, the effects are starting to get too much. But he doesn't. Look, look in verse 13. In verse 13, what does he do? So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. This is a great picture because their toolbox changes, doesn't it? It goes from trials and picks and shovels to now we got swords and bows and spears. Because you understand that anytime we try and build something, we're always gonna have to defend it against the opposition that tries to tear it down. We see this theme all throughout scripture. But we also see the theme that God's work always prevails. And so, in verse 
14, what does he say? It's a beautiful passage. In verse 14, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, Nehemiah was a great motivator, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. That was the call. Don't be afraid of them. And so God shows up in verse 15. God answers prayers, doesn't he? The enemy hears of the tip-off, right? So that's what's happening in, in, in the previous passages, that, that there's going to be a night attack on the people because they can't get them by day, so now we got to get them by night, and then they find out about the attack. The Lord frustrates their plans, and, and Nehemiah's crew hears about it. And so they're hunkered down behind the wall at night, waiting for the attack. They're ready. They're ready to defend their work because they believe in it. And what happens? The attack never comes because they've realized that they've heard about it. God answers the prayer. And I realize he didn't answer the prayer necessarily the way Nehemiah prayed, right? Nehemiah prayed, just wipe them out. But God answers it a different way. He says, no, I'm, I'm just going to. I'm just gonna give you the information you need to do the hard thing. You still gotta do the hard thing. I'm not gonna make it easy. And a lot of times we want it easy. I mean, it would be nice. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of times the, the right thing is the harder thing, isn't it? A, a, a lot of times the, the right path is the narrow one. It, it, it's the one with the, all the hindrances and hurdles and and then look in the response verse 16 from that day on half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears shields bows and coats of mail this was a different kind of construction site wasn't it I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't been by too many construction sites where you have people troweling the bricks in one hand and a sword strapped to their side. This is impressive. This is, takes devotion, doesn't it? I mean, how many people would have given up the work? But they keep going. At every turn, they keep going forward. Despite all the opposition, despite the discouragement, they keep going. They keep pressing forward. And it's saying something to the opposition, isn't it? Not only is it strengthening and stiffening the backbone of the people Nehemiah is leading, but it's conveying something to the opposition. So you're not gonna stop this. I'm moving forward. You can attack me all day long, physically, emotional, criticize me, you can make fun of me, you can call us names, you can think we're weak and feeble, but it don't matter. We're going forward. That's boldness, that's resolute, that's resilience. And then at the end of verse 20, this is one of the times I wish verses weren't necessarily split up. But look with me in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, it says, our God will fight for us. And what does it say, the very next sentence? So we labored at the work are because we trust in the God who fights for us. We labored at the work. We got on with the work. 
You mean the opposition didn't cause you to, to kind of run and hide? It didn't cause you to get discouraged and kind of sulk on the couch? It didn't, you mean you just kept going? Yeah, just kept going. Just kept plowing forward. I know it's hard. It's tough. The days are hard. And I don't know when the opposition's gonna stop. I mean, you're reading, you're reading chapter four and you think, okay, maybe they'll back off after a couple. But it keeps going all the way to the end. It keeps going. And so whenever you do the work of the Lord, there will always be opposition. And the opposition's goal is to stop the work. And here in Nehemiah, we see the best way to respond to opposition is to stay the course. Despite the arrows, despite the discouragement, instead of turning from it, turn into it. Step toward it. Don't run from it. Now, why can we say that? Am I saying that based on, because I know that you guys are just incredible, or am I saying that based on I know that the, your God is incredible? That's the key to Nehemiah's boldness. So in 4 verse 6, it says, so we built the wall. 4 verse 21, it says, so we labored at the work. 6.15, the wall was finished. 7.73, the people, the people moved in. Nehemiah's resilience and his willingness to step and fight and press forward led to a blessing of thousands and thousands of people. Sometimes we think that if we give in, it only affects us. But realize that if we press forward, the fruit that may come from that will bless many, many other people. As we see here. And to the believer, let me close here. To the believer, this is our heritage. The God who says he will be with us is a God who delivered Moses, rescued Noah, came to Daniel's aid, defended David over and over again. Our God has proven the truth that is not just exercised in Nehemiah 4, but was written about in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And finally, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we are not reading from a self-help book. We are reading from your holy, divine, inspired word that I pray the Spirit would etch on our hearts and would help us to be bold and resilient against opposition. Father, your people need 
you. And your word conveys that you are behind us. You're with us. So God, I pray that our strength would not come from ourselves, but it would come from you. God, that these truths that we not only read about, but that we've seen in Nehemiah, God, that they would serve as an anchor point, that the truth of God will fight for us, will stiffen our backbones, would strengthen our confidence. For God, we, we labor. I pray we labor for a God who is faithful and good. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the blood of Christ, the finished work of Jesus, and the hope of eternal glory. Therefore, let us be bold followers of Christ on this earth. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.